Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. I am Josh Norris, joined here by John Daigle, Hayden Winks, Patrick Doherty for our, yes, weekly preview show. Daigsy, we're all wondering, edge of our seats, what's it been like at the Silva Sanctuary? Give us an update. <laughs> Everything else goes well. Uh, we have moved on now, the next step in our lives, to me taking his car to go grocery shopping on our behalf. So that happened yesterday. I brought back dinners to cook for us midweek. So that we're doing well still. Does does he give you a list of items that like uh like I I need I need these to be picked up and he puts them on the refrigerator? No, but I know the necessities. Uh, a couple I'll keep off the air, but then also <laughs> uh, vitamins are very vitamins are very important in this house. By the way, we wouldn't be doing well if it were not for vitamins uh, and a few other things. You know, just your basic groceries. Well, you guys know that. People like the show. We get viewer and listener comments and questions all the time. Um, not to you know call anyone out here, but Hayden, we actually had one directed at you recently. This one comes from uh, Jeremy Angle. You don't know this is coming. Uh, and he asked me. I don't know why he just didn't ask you, but he asked me. Where is Hayden from? The way he says, quote, talent is like nails on a chalkboard. So like, I, I told him you're a California kid, Hayden. I guess I've never noticed this accent. But it's like it's more like a, a talent. Is that right? Talent? I haven't really picked up on this. I've never heard anything like this. Uh talent. I no. guess I, I guess I am I, I got maybe I'll say it during the, the podcast. Nice clustered. Yes. Yeah, it's gonna come out I, naturally. I will say my my younger brother has like Texas draw, but he's from California. It makes no sense. So I, I don't know what's going on. Hey, has got a little bit of California English, actually, when you when you okay. stop and think about it. But I was correct. Like I know you well enough to know that you are through and through California blood. Yeah, I've barely uh, gotten out of Southern California in my entire life. Okay. <laughs> Just your honest. <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com. 
T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Again, this is our preview show. We'll go game by game. There are two teams on a bye, which seems incredibly early. Hayden and I were talking about this beforehand. It feels like we've just barely started the season, but we're almost five weeks done, which there are no complaints coming from this direction. Uh, but the Detroit Lions and Green Bay Packers, as of right now, are on a bye. We may have more teams on a bye as well, mm. heading into Sunday and Monday, and maybe even Tuesday. Uh, but we'll kick off this week's slate I mean, there's three straight games of 50-plus totals here, but we'll start off with the Carolina Panthers, who are 2-2, two and two, heading to the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons at home, despite being 0-4, and, and tell me if I read this correctly, one-and-a-half-point favorites here. Uh, Daigle, we know this Falcons offense is still putting up points on scoreboards, but it's been in like a weird way. We've seen Julio Jones go down for back-to-back weeks, it feels like. Calvin Ridley had a goose egg last week. How confident are you in this Atlanta Falcons team to go along with the Panthers to reach this total of 54 and a half. Calvin Ridley is the only one you can start with confidence, which seems odd to say, considering he just played a season low snap rate and didn't catch a single ball as he's been handling a bum ankle injury on Monday night. And Matt Ryan has actually been the QB 27 and the QB 23 the past two weeks without Julio Jones. So it's a scary situation, certainly. But recall, we're only one week removed from Ridley actually seeing a career high 34% target share without Julio. So even if that snap rate is increased or he's back to full health this week, we'll have to follow along with practice reports. I think Ridley is still a tremendous start as the wide receiver one overall, still despite not catching a ball. Last week was a little bit of everything for Calvin Ridley, right? I mean, it was the ankle injury. It was Julio freeing up defensive attention, and it was that defensive attention being Jair Alexander. And kind of weird, uh, through the first four weeks of the season, the Panthers are amongst the league leaders in terms of like fewest quarterback and wide receiver fantasy points allowed. But it's been against a very soft slate of opposing uh, passers and offenses, so you can't really read too much into it yet but definitely kind of belying the reputation as one of the most attackable pass defenses. But Calvin Ridley, despite the touching Will Fuller tribute, I mean, easily back in there in the top six or seven this week. You know, I don't want to put this Panthers defense on a bit of a pedestal here, Pat, but I think heading into last weekend, we would have expected Kyler Murray and, and DeAndre Hopkins to, you know, do work and do some damage against the Carolina Panthers defense. And they absolutely didn't. So maybe there is something in the water in Charlotte. Well, there isn't because I'm drinking it right now. But in that, this team is probably better than we thought they were. I mean, in the first couple of weeks, their defense was absolutely atrocious, but it's gelling a little bit, Hayden. And we talked about it with Mike Davis as well. You know, when Chris McCaffrey, the identity of your offense for multiple years went down, they are humming offensively. And Mike Davis is number one in elusive rating, number two in yards after contact since taking over this backfield. Yeah, Mike Davis is very talented and he has a big <laughs> receiving workload as well. This is also a great matchup. The um, the Falcons obviously can't cover anybody out in space. So I think Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore could be started as like top 24 plays. I think that there is some concern with DJ Moore, who's kind of 
his roles changed. He's more, he's operating downfield more and he's had fewer just easy grabs. And that's kind of what, what Robbie Anderson's been doing. And that's why I think both of them are strong wide receiver twos. And Mike Davis, the volume's there. He's He looks excellent. And Teddy Bridgewater just giving his his players just enough to work with. He's not going to throw for 350 yards every week by any means, but he's getting uh, his his best players the ball. But both can be wide receiver ones, to be clear. But I think the industry's behind in ranking DJ Moore ahead of Robbie Anderson still. I think, he sh- I think he should be behind him. Pat, go. No, I was going to say, I was going to ask you guys that question because I made that switch in the rankings this week. And, mm-hmm. you know, we know the target share is still good for DJ Moore. We know the air yards we love, but I, I had already been kind of feeling it. And then I came across Hayden's stat, you know, pointing out about how DJ Moore is being used fundamentally different further down the field. And Robbie Anderson, you know, Mr. Fly route, streak route specialist is the one getting like the easier the looks like the cheap thrills that he's like converting into big fantasy points. And I mean, it's a small sample size. It's flip on a dime probably, but I mean, quarter of the season through Robbie Anderson has been the better play almost every single week. Well, Anderson is also getting the deep targets that DJ Moore's getting. Anderson's getting everything. Anderson actually owns 27% of Carolina's red zone targets, whereas DJ Moore only has one red zone target. So there's like a reason he's leading in every single category because he's being used uh, safer all over the field. Gentlemen, there's a show out there called the Roto World Football Podcast. <laughs> and every single Monday morning, in time when you wake up, there's a game by game recap. If you rewind after week one, someone on the show was talking about Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore being the 1A and the 1B at the very least. Now, it might even be stretched a little bit more since then, but we have seen and added Robbie Anderson to the list of players that once you exit Adam Gase, your game evolves a little bit you are used totally differently because for years and years Robbie was pigeonholed as just as vertical playmaker and I don't want to say that that was necessarily a misevaluation because he's very good at that but then that also limited him from being from showing that he can do more he can do more now the question is Hayden do we think he's as good in those areas as DJ Moore could be and I think DJ Moore has shown in his young career that he's one of the best in yards after catch in the NFL, but it doesn't necessarily matter what we think so far. The usage has pointed to Robbie Anderson getting more of these layups. It has. And I think the one thing is we can just eliminate Curtis Samuel. He has a 13% target share and it's just not happening. He's just not on the same playing field as Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. Both of these guys are really talented. I would probably rank them like right next to each other. I still think that DJ Moore can end up being the number one, but, but for right now, I think short term Robbie Anderson probably should be like a spot or two ahead. Quickly, Daigle, take me in the minds of the desert. Why here, the Falcons at 0-4, who, you know, halfway through games, their defense just absolutely collapses. I mean, it was 7-3 to against the Packers last week in the middle of the second quarter, then 20-3 to at halftime. Why are they favored in this game against the Carolina Panthers team over the last two weeks that have shown plenty of positives? Because it's a bad number. Uh, Vegas is just behind, and that's why you should like the Panthers outright. You don't even need the number here. Just bet the money line. Not only have the Falcons allowed the most fantasy points per game to opposing quarterbacks, but look at their defense now. That was already atrocious. Missing uh, safety, DeMonte Kazee, who tore his ACL last week. A.J. Terrell look, looks like he'll be back, but it doesn't matter. Uh, cornerback Darnez Denard, 
hamstring is on IR right now. Keon O'Neal with a hamstring injury. Ricardo Allen has an elbow injury. And then the rookie safety, Jalen Hawkins, who they started in the interim last week, got a concussion. So it's Bridgewater. It's the receivers we talked about. And it's Mike Davis all day since Reggie Bonifon was quietly put on IR midweek. Let's move on to the Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens, 13-point home favorites here, a total of 51. As you know, the Ravens are 3-1. and one. The Bengals, 1-2-1. and one. Um, Pat, this might be an oversimplification, but the answer and the question I ask myself each time I see the Bengals on the slate, in order for them to like keep it close and potentially win a football game, is will Cincinnati's offensive line, which is their biggest weakness on this team, be a considerable mismatch in this contest? And the answer to this one is a resounding yes. And that I've talked about it, that the Bengals still play with enough tempo, um, have a quarterback that you know has some athleticism, some maneuverability, so I'm not avoiding all of these players. But this is not going to be a close game, and obviously the line indicates that. It's weird. To me, does anyone else think the line feels a bit aggressive like 13 points i thought just the ravens i thought maybe took on enough it was the chiefs and it was two weeks ago but 13 did strike me as a little aggressive i'm not going to say the Bengals' offensive line is coming together but i mean joe burrow like like in weeks one and two you know was on his back almost every play that's not happening anymore they finally sprung joe mixon for a big game and this the ravens i don't identity crisis is probably too strong but it seemed like they just aren't quite fully in sync on offense yet, despite three or four weeks, you know, winning big. Just I thought that line was a bit aggressive against a Bengals team that is kind of improving every week. You know, the Ravens now, Lamar Jackson is on the injury report. I thought this before I saw Lamar Jackson was the injury report, though, so I'm not going to try to like, blame it on the injury report. But I just don't know if the Ravens are going to boat race the Bengals the way they have three of their first four opponents. And I just, more than anything, I, maybe I'm just trying to will this into existence because I just want answers about the Ravens' offense. I want, in a normal game, how this backfield is going to be used and, like, what, like, Marquise Brown's actual floor and ceiling is. We just can't get normal game flow, normal game script from the Ravens. And uh, maybe I'm just trying to wish cast that into existence this week. But think about what you just said, that I'm not sure if the Ravens are going to boat race like the team like they have three out of the four times this year, mm-hmm. you know? Why not? I just think I mean, the Bengals are, I think, are improving. I just think maybe the Bengals aren't as bad uh, as we've maybe thought from weeks one or two. Not that we thought they were bad, bad, or, or as bad as Vegas thinks they are right now, for sure. I think maybe we're a little behind on our Bengals evaluation, basically. Is there anything to worry about, Hayden, here with Lamar missing two straight practices the first time he's ever done that in his career? I mean, you have to just check Friday's injury report. I have no idea, but he. He's just been missing a couple of throws. I think that last year he was hitting, and I don't think that that's a long-term issue per se. Um, the one note I have from this game, uh, Marquise Brown's A dot is way up this year, like six average depth of target up <laughs> yards this year. So I couldn't say that. But I think he's a rebound candidate, especially if Lamar Jackson is healthy. That's the big ticket. We're still not playing any of the running backs just because their snap counts are Dobbins 88. Ingram, 80. Gus Edwards, 70. You can't have three guys splitting work that evenly. To that point, Brown is top three, like Michael Gallup, who everyone's angry about, in air yards per attempt. However, he still leads the Ravens with a 26.5% target share. The usage is there, 70% of the team snaps. The blow-up game is coming, eight targets this past week. It's not really the Ravens being frustrating for themselves. It's more about them being frustrating for fantasy players because they're so good. Like The only time they didn't deliver was the one game they got blown out by the Chiefs. Other than that, they've been a tremendous team. 
What about Joe Mixon? I mean, Joe Mixon ran all over the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's received at least 16 carries in every single game this season. Only 15 total targets, though. But last week was a season high in carries. 25, claimed all six targets. I think, though, Pat, we go back to how we started this conversation. That was the lone win on the Bengals' schedule so far this season. And in many instances, winning equals running back production. So I think that it'll be much closer to like the 40, 50-ish yards that Joe Mixon showed in those weeks one through three than what he showed in week four in this contest against the Ravens. I think you have to give him a little bit of a rankings boost just for finally demonstrating that upside and still has reached 19 touches every week of the season. But a very concern. I will say one thing about Joe Mixon, despite the limited receptions, he's amongst the league leaders in routes run. Like I think maybe it's just something that hasn't caught up yet where Giovanni Bernard just like isn't really a concern. I mean, Joe Mixon is being used more than enough in both phases of the game. The concern is yeah, he's he's a back-end RB1 against the Ravens defense where the matchups are not good at any level of the field. If you read rotorworld.com, you go to the homepage and you see that Joe Mixon is the cover boy of one Josh Norris's bust column. So you're asking us. I'm flipping that. I want to hear from you why you think Joe Mixon is a bust this week. Yeah, I kind of laid it out at the start of the question, but it's it's fair to ask me that because he's being started in 90-plus percent of Yahoo leagues out there. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I do truly believe that so much running back production comes from offensive line talent and from positive game script and winning football games. And the Bengals just are not set up for either. Now, last week in Jacksonville, they were. That was about the closest matchup of talent that the Bengals might face all season. And this one is to the other pole. This one is to the other extreme. So while you can always bank on, and we always like it, the floor of 15 to 20-ish touches, um, we've just seen him get stunted and stuttered um, when, you know, they're facing good teams, when they're facing good defensive lines. And we know how good this Ravens team is. And the top three receivers for the Bengals now, by the way, is Tyler Boyd, then T. Higgins, then A.J. Green, who have ranked as the wide receiver 50 this week. And I'm not looking back. Yeah, I I bet we see just a bunch of quick passing and negative game script situations in the short to intermediate game from Joe Burrow, which is fine for us in PPR leagues with all those wide receivers that you mentioned. Okay, let's move on to those Jacksonville Jaguars against the Houston Texans, 54 and a half total, another big one. Uh, 0-4 Texans, 1-3 Jaguars, but the Texans, despite not winning a game so far, are six-point favorites here. Hayden, is this just a little fire dictator bump that Vegas is giving the Texans? (laughs) It's that and the Jaguars defense is 32nd in passing EPA defense. They cannot rush the passer right now. So I think that this is a bounce back spot for Deshaun Watson. Maybe there's a fire lit underneath the team. And I think that is the reason why David Johnson is actually a rebound candidate for me, just because I think he's going to get the high value touches he needs in the rushing game. He probably has a better chance of scoring a touchdown this week than he has all season. And uh, the, the one thing that's, a little bit of a concern with David Johnson is Duke Johnson cut into his routes by a lot. He only ran a route like on 40% of his dropbacks last week. And that was like up in like the eighties, nineties percent when, when Duke Johnson was sidelined. So maybe this could be a week where you get a nice score out of David Johnson. Then you end up flipping him um, just because I'm still not sold on the Texans offensive line, the coaching staff and the receivers outside of Will Fuller. What are you sold on then? I mean, that's like <laughs> Sean <mentioned> Watson. <laughs> Sorry. I just had to say it. 
Go ahead, Daigle. Uh, the good news for the Texans offense, whether they have a scheme change under Romeo Cornell and Tim Kelly or not, is that the Bengals offense thrived last week against the Jaguars because, remember, the Jaguars lost C.J. Henderson, D.J. Hayden, who has since gone on IR, and Miles Jack, the other two players who have not practiced yet midweek. Um, the Bengals had a punt, field goal, interception, and touchdown in their first four drives in the first half. Those three players for the Jaguars leave, and the second half, the Bengals have touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal, field goal. So you have to like the Texans in that spot if the three key defensive players for the Jaguars are out. Pat, where do you have DJ Chark ranked this week? Because we finally got to welcome him back into our lives in week four. Thought it was a great performance that he showed last week. So you you don't like to assume rational coaching, but when I watched the Jaguars in week three get boat raced, uh, to use that phrase again, by the Miami Dolphins, I was like, you would hope that, so DJ Shark didn't play that game, but you know, he had only had the seven targets in weeks one and two. And when you watched week three, it was hard not to get the feeling. Well, hopefully a takeaway from this game is that when DJ Shark comes back in week four, they're going to get him more involved because LaVisca Chenault has big play potential, but he's a gadget rookie. Keelan Cole is just a guy. Dede Westbrook no longer exists apparently. And they need a more consistent upside out of one of these receivers. And they needed to get DJ Shark more involved. They did do that by far season highs in terms of production and usage. Two touchdowns. Now a very good matchup. The problem maybe for DJ Shark in fantasy this week, and maybe even Gardner Minshew in fantasy this week, because Minshew's again one of everyone's favorite streamers, is how easy the Texans are to run on. Um, but DJ Shark, I've got him back in at the low end wide receiver two ranks. Someone who really is good enough to be in like the wide receiver 14 to 18 range, but right now kind of belongs in the wide receiver like 20 to 24 range. And I, I just got to say, I mean, I'm not a gambler, but six points feels like a lot for the Houston Texans. Uh, That's why this is the upset of the week. And it seems like cheating because the Texans should not be laying points to anyone, no. let alone the Jaguars. That's that's crazy. Uh, Minshew has thrown for 300 yards and or three touchdowns in three games this year. And guess what three games those are? The three games DJ Shark has played, who is clearly a much better isolation player than Chris Conley in that same role whenever Shark is out. So I love the Jaguars to boat race the Texans. <laughs> Pat, how do you feel now? More easy, I, a little uneasy now that you and Daigle are on the same line of thinking. Hey, most of the time when John's going out there with the real crazy uh, predictions, I'm kind of like secretly like, oh, you know, I was thinking that. I'm kind of glad he's saying it and he's the one putting his name on the line. And but, I'm glad he mentioned Chris Conley, by the way, when I was going through the Jags receiver court. Wow. The worst performance by any wide receiver all season in week three. Yeah. All right. We will move on then. The Las Vegas Raiders, the Kansas City Chiefs, 56 and a half total. But the Chiefs are favored by 13 points. They're 4-0. The Vegas is 2-2. Two and two. Not like too far in history. I mean, Vegas was like supposed to be competitive in these lines. Certainly not anymore. Hayden, when I looked and just from a big picture view, it's like the most predictable offense in the NFL in Las Vegas versus one of the most unpredictable offenses. And we've seen that each and every week with – you know, throwback screens, fullback screens, Nicole Hardman, touch passes, push passes near the goal line last week. And again, with Vegas, it's let's get the ball to Josh Jacobs. Let's get the ball to Darren Waller. And the only way to switch that up is if Henry Ruggs comes back and is healthy. That's the ticket. Henry Ruggs needs to be in the lineup for this offense to have some more explosion. We saw in the first uh, two quarters, Henry Ruggs was getting these like McCole Hardman style touches behind the line of scrimmage screens and then a couple of deep targets as well. So he's the the ticket here. Of course, I mean, I think Darren Walsh probably going to see what 10 targets this week. 
And I think that he deserves to be in the top three tight end uh, grouping for the rest of the season. But this is just the Chiefs. Like, this is easily the best offense this week, projected for over 35 points. I think that there's a bunch of buy low opportunities here with Clyde Edwards Hilaire and Sammy Watkins. I think McCole Hardman finally got over Demarcus Robinson in routes last week. So that is the secret ingredient for a McCole Hardman truther as well. Only a donkey would bet an under in 2020, and yet I love the under in this game because the Chiefs with the Bills in mind, an AFC Championship preview and a short turnaround on Thursday, are just going to show up and get the job done because the Raiders can't stop them. That's why we love Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in this matchup. I don't expect the Chiefs' playbook to be expanded, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire backfield touch rate has increased progressively every single game, leading up to last week's season-high 95% touch rate. So we should expect a bounce-back performance, and although these guys have high floors, like I don't think they even need Patrick Mahomes here. Hmm. They probably need Patrick Mahomes, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> not more. C- here it goes. <laughs> Ch, I gotta say, so it's a great, great matchup. No team has allowed more fantasy points to running backs than the Raiders, partly because they're in negative game script a lot. But I mean, we need to see more from Ch this week. He hasn't had a twenty-yard run since week one. He's been getting about one ten or twelve-yard run every week, and then kind of a lot of three or four-yard runs. He's been looking like the expected cheat code in the passing game, even though he hasn't had like a game-breaking moment yet. But yeah, would like to see more from CEH in uh, the, the running game this week, but it's a gorgeous spot despite the three weeks of not impressive returns, but against three very good defenses. CEH, I have him in the top eight this week. Other people probably have him higher. And, yeah, I think it's time for CEH to, you know, we, everyone got so excited after week one. Now the true thing has kind of slowly crept in again. I think the excitement will return after week five. Let's move on. Arizona Cardinals, New York Jets, jumped down the total. 47 in this one. 0-4 Jets, 2-2 Cardinals. Cardinals only seven-point favorites on the road here. And guess what, John Daigle? Guess who's back in our lives? Most likely, it's Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco, who could not practice during this offseason because of – was it a back injury? A neck neck injury? Neck injury. Yeah, those always heal within, you know, the first five weeks of the NFL season as well. We weren't playing anyone on the Jets anyways, but I look again at all these lines to go through my spiel each and every week, and this does not add up to the Jets covering the seven points at all to me, Daigle, at all. You mean Joe Flacco playing under Adam Gase isn't the exact chemistry you would like from your NFL team? I mean, this game is a joke. Uh, the Joe Flacco's going under center for pro football focus's lowest graded O-line, which permitted the second most pressures all year. It's going to be an absolute disaster. We know what's going to happen. Jameson Crowder is on pace in his last 15 games with Sam Darnold uh, for nearly over 1,000 yards. The issue is that's with Sam Darnold, where he's failed practically with every other quarterback he's played with. Now we have Flacco against this defense. Um, it's a joke. The one player you want is Kenyon Drake. Hayden, let's, well, yes. I okay, think let's talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about it. Because, Hayden, let's visualize how this game can flow, okay? I think because of Kyler's struggles the last two weeks, and he saved that week three performance with, you know, that, that rushing upside that he showed. I mean, last week against Carolina, he was just halting momentum. Even with open wide receivers, he was, he was just missing them. I bet we see Cliff make it a priority to get Kyler back on track to start that offensive momentum, and there's no better case to do it than against the Jets. Meanwhile, any play, any play that Sam Darnold has been able to make this year has not been because of good offensive line play or good pass-catching ability uh, with his wide receivers. It's because of his mobility and then those those moments of being able to throw off-platform. 
there's no way Joe Flacco is going to be able to do any of that, any of that. And this Cardinals team has some pass rushers. I mean, Chandler Jones, they have some players with creative blitzes that can get after the quarterback. Again, see no chance in how the Jets covered the seven points. And it's my lock to go with the Cardinals with the seven as well. Yeah, you're not going to hear me disagree with anything you just said. I still think that Jameson Crowder could be started as like a wide receiver three in PPR formats just because the volume is so insane. And Joe Flacco is going to be throwing Jameson Crowder the ball. But on the other side, we have to talk about Kenyon Drake. This is somebody that does not look fully healthy to me when I'm watching him. He was not looking explosive down, uh, beating linebackers to the outside. He's just not doing that right now. And he's not running routes. He's not catching passes. That's kind of been uh, left to Chase Edmonds, who's one, still one of the best insurance backs in fantasy. I do think that this is a chance for Kenyon Drake to get 20 carries just because of game script. But I think we need to start uh, giving him expectations of like RB2 rather than RB1, unfortunately, at least until we see Kyler Murray fully click. He's been missing some passes. Maybe that's a DeAndre Hopkins injury thing. I'm not sure. But I think Kenyon Drake more of an RB2 moving forward than RB1. No, sorry, Kenya Drake's low-end RB2. I mean, he's had back-to-back smash spots in the Lions and Panthers where he didn't do anything, and he's not make, contributing big runs. He's not even he's not involved at all in the passing game, which last year he was involved in the passing game, but he strangely didn't make big plays in the passing game for the Cardinals, and now they're just like phasing him out. And I, I could see that this being the week the timeshare develops for the Cardinals. Maybe that's too dramatic, but... He's just shown nothing so far. And don't forget for the Jets, Le'Veon Bell's returning. Uh, The only reason – so the seven-point spread, I agree. I mean, I see no chance a team starting Joe Flacco can cover that spread. But I think it's just more about the Cardinals and how unsightly their passing offense has been the past two weeks. And maybe it's because of the DeAndre Hopkins injury. But I I think the Cardinals will cover, but I think it could be in an uglier fashion than uh, we would like. Cliff Kingsbury said the highest note on his ledger this week is quote unquote, getting Kenyon Drake going. And it seems like the perfect spot to do so only five targets on the year. Whereas that's what he averaged in every game with the Cardinals last year. So that's why I am higher on Kenyon Drake, but I respect the low end RB two ranking. I think that's probably about right. The Philadelphia Eagles go to the Pittsburgh Steelers, just a small total. I think I get this right. 44 and a half in this game. Pittsburgh favored by seven points. We know they're coming off an unexpected bye week. They are 3-0. and We know the Eagles are 1-2-1 and after finally winning last week. What should we expect this week, Hayden, from the Steelers' offense? Is it back to where it was with Deontay Johnson really being that number one wide receiver for them, with Juju still being extremely productive, with you know Chase Claypool having one big catch per game, James Conner? It kind of feels like we haven't seen this play for a month. It has, and I think the Steelers' offense is still just not what it was in uh, last time we saw Big Ben. They're 26 in neutral pass rate. Big Ben is checking the ball down a lot, which has really helped Deontay Johnson, whose ADOT is low. I do think that Juju Smith-Schuster is a buy low candidate because his ADOT is also low. I think that Juju has looked good on film, uh, but I think you still have to rank Deontay Johnson slightly ahead of Juju. I think both of them deserve to be top 25 plays this week and, and for most weeks moving forward, uh, I, I will note Deontay Johnson has a slightly tougher cornerback matchup against Darius Slay, who's been very good this year. But I think you're going to start James Conner, Deontay Johnson, and Juju. And then Big Ben's kind of been floating on that QB 1 2 border. If you are 
falling in line with what we've seen this season and ranking Robbie Anderson over DJ Moore, you were clearly also ranking Deontay Johnson over Juju Smith-Schuster because that's how they've been used. Through three weeks, Deontay had a 31% target share over Juju Smith-Schuster, and they can both be top 14 wide receivers, and you have to like them both in this spot. Pat, where are you on these Eagles players? Miles Sanders didn't really hit last week. He still has some receiving upside, obviously, but this is a Pittsburgh Steelers defense. While it might not have shown so far what we saw the type of defense to end 2019, I will also say this is one of the biggest mismatches from a defensive line to offensive line standpoint. I mean, this Philadelphia Eagles offensive line is playing like straight garbage, and it makes sense. They're on like their fourth and fifth choices in some offensive spots. Meanwhile, you have like a guy, Tyson Alualu, in his early 30s having a renaissance and just being a totally different player to go along with T.J. Watt, who might be defensive player of the year so far. I was getting close to almost declaring Miles Sanders matcher-proof despite the offensive line concerns because those concerns were there in weeks two and three. But then they made sure he got his 20 touches. He looked very explosive getting them. And then last week in a game you know, where they were never trailing by – I don't remember what their biggest deficit was last week, but the game never got away with, from them before they sprung the upset. And he just wasn't as involved as he was in weeks two and three. And it didn't make sense because when he was coming in, he, he wasn't, it's not like he was getting brick walled. He was getting nice gains, but he got subbed out in a few real big moments of that game, that game against the 49ers. And I just don't know. Maybe there's something the Eagles coaching staff d- saw and didn't like, but uh, Miles Sanders, I was not prepared to be feeling confident about because of the hamstring in the summer and the offensive line woes. And then I was almost there for last week. And, that gave me enough doubt going into this very tough matchup with the Steelers where he's in like the RB 15 to 16. He's ahead of like the Todd Gurley's of the world. But he, he's at, he's at the back of the line basically of like the upside plays and he's still there. He's still a high end RB two, but someone that if you had asked me last Sunday where I would expect a Miles Sanders ranked in week five, it probably would have been in the top 12. Hayden, I was shocked that Carson Wentz has been a top 12 scoring quarterback in in each of the last two weeks. He's also making the bus column this week. And the question is how he's been top 12 in scoring. And it's because of rushing. He had a 65 yards and a touchdown um, in week three, 37 yards and a touchdown in week four. Uh, As our friend Rich Rebar noted, a mind boggling 43% of Carson Wentz's production this season has come from rushing, which is only behind Kyler Murray and Cam Newton. Who, who's the one that doesn't fit of that trio? Oh, uh, it, it's Carson Wentz. Like there is no way that that type of rushing production is stable week in and week out. These are off-brand one-luck plays that have happened two weeks in a row, and it should not. And if it does, it's wild, but it should not happen three weeks in a row. Yeah, not against the Steelers. I, I will say that the Eagles are the top five in neutral pass rate, and they're getting Deshaun Jackson back. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not counting on Alshon Jeffrey. Right. No, I know. It, it's it's not a good situation, but Carson Wentz at least has some athleticism where he can save like his QB2 status. Uh, I would not be looking to start him against the Steelers, though. They're projected for 18 points this week. I don't know if it was because Jason Peters went on IR or because it was the 49ers front seven, but Carson Wentz was under pressure at a season high uh, 47% of his dropbacks last week. And we know the Steelers blitz at the league's highest rate. So that's why I'm concerned about this passing attack. Well, what mean, is Lane Johnson's status this week? Because he that's true too. Of, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of a lot of concerns for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. So we didn't talk about this, but we should discuss this Buffalo and Tennessee game. 
even though we have no idea when it's going to kick off. It seems wild that even Monday is being thrown out right now as a possibility based on two more tests. We record this Thursday afternoon based on two more positive tests today. Uh, but it is the 4-0 Buffalo Bills, the 3-0 Tennessee Titans. There's no lines. There's no totals in this one. Um, but I went back and watched the Buffalo Bills offense again last week, Hayden. And what we see is Josh Allen deep shots to Stephon Diggs that he's winning in contested catches. We see circus off-platform throws to John Brown. Devin Singletary is probably playing his best football ever. Like each week, I'm not going to say we wonder because I don't want it to if this offense is going to come back to earth, but it's only been four games. But basically it feels like this Brian Dayball-led Buffalo Bills offense is here to stay, Hayden. Yep, the scheme matches perfectly with the offensive talent. Uh, Stephon Diggs and John Brown have been excellent downfield, and that's really helped Josh Allen out. Um, I'm not sure if this game is going to play just yeah. straight up. <laughs> I would I would have backup plans. I think that's the, the big story here, though. And there are so many injuries to sort through on Nashville's uh, COVID list. I call it Nashville since it's an entire city. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to do with this game. Have Khalif Raymond ready, I guess. Yeah, because Corey Davis is on the list. I mean, I don't even know if we should. AJ Brown's it. injured. Like, yeah, this is. Do we have no idea what AJ Brown's status is, regardless of the COVID? Because there's been no practices. Let's actually, let's talk about this. Um, what do you want to do with Derrick Henry and redraft? Are you holding or are you being forward thinking and trying to unload him to someone who believes the Titans only miss one or two games? This is a galaxy brain question here. It's some, true, though. Like, we have, I to, know. we have to react. Yeah, some some strategy that I haven't even considered yet because who knows how many games this Titans team might play and then I know Schefter threw out today for playoffs that they might go by winning percentage and not games one which would be in the Titans favor anyways uh someone messaged me and said they actually got Devontae Adams for Derrick Henry and so like I don't know would y'all do that deal or it's we have yes. to ask I would I would have done that even if Derrick Henry was <laughs> okay there you go Pat, well, I say Devontae Adams, you know, has the one that hasn't been healthy this year. They will play in week six. I think by now I mean, they probably got the memo. Will uh, they? I'm assuming they're not having any more off the books workouts at local Jesuit high schools, which is a very St. Louis activity, by the way. Um, but I mean, Derrick Henry is almost good, man. He's keeping tread on the tires. Now he's going to be fresh, you know, for the meat of the fantasy season. He got his buy out of the week early. To me, it almost looks like a buy low. Hmm. Okay. Uh, quickly on this Buffalo team, since we talk about this, since I, I think they're a real contender, their defense is not playing well. And that is so un Sean McDermott light like. But what they have shown in the last few weeks, and, and namely last week, is like a late game penchant to create big plays, which is important. I mean, we saw Josh Norman punch the football out, the peanut punch. We've seen interceptions, sack fumbles, so on and so forth. I trust Sean McDermott enough that. He doesn't want this team to be, you know, an offensive identity focus that, again, with no offseason, with some new pieces on it, with linebackers continuing to get healthy, that uh, I, I bet they fix it towards the end of the year. They'll be one of the favorites in the AFC, despite the AFC being loaded. All right, we'll move on. Hayden is so out in that game. He's, he just knows it's not being played. I don't, All right. I don't blame him. Yeah. The Los Angeles Rams and the Washington football team. The Rams are seven-point road favorites here. They're three and one. We know Washington is one and three. Hayden, Dwayne Haskins, bench for Kyle Allen, something that we have discussed as a potential and possibility all season long, namely ahead of last week. doesn't feel like Dwayne Haskins' play was bad enough to indicate this change. Was this an unfair change to a lesser quarterback talent in Kyle Allen? 
I mean, the whole situation was just, it was bound to fail. They don't have offensive line help and Dwayne Haskins is not mobile enough to mask those concerns. I think that's why you got to be looking at these quarterback prospects. If they can't move, they have to be like truly elite passers. And Dwayne Haskins has some passing appeal, but he's been very inaccurate this, this year. I think that's probably because he's not used to the scheme. This is his third uh, new offense in like eight months. He has nobody to throw the ball to outside of Terry McLaurin, who obviously is getting extra coverage. I mean, Dontrell Inman's been acting as like their uh, wide receiver too. So I think it is unfair for Dwayne Haskins, but he hasn't really been playing well either. And I think that because the division is so bad that Ron Rivera is like trying to sneak into the playoffs, which I would be willing to bet against. But uh, right now for fantasy, it's Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson's, his usage is increasing, but he's still behind JD McKissick in the passing game. That's super frustrating. There's not too many pieces to really consider here. Kyle Allen, at the very least, offers league average quarterback play. I know he's not good, but is he an upgrade over Dwayne Haskins? Yes. Uh, And so remember, he supported DJ Moore for eight and a half targets per game last year. I would imagine we hopefully get that with Terry McLaurin moving forward. For fantasy, this is an immediate upgrade. For real life, I mean, the way I look at this is, I mean, I think we know that Kyle Allen is not an NFL level level starter. Uh, We probably know that Dwayne Haskins is not an NFL level starter, but I just don't think we're all the way there yet. Like, like Hayden said, the the one red, the biggest red flag always with Dwayne Haskins was movement skills. Uh, It's remained an issue behind a terrible offensive line, but this did feel very, very, very hasty to me. It's just for someone like Kyle Allen. I mean, at least, I I don't know. I, I think this was, maybe it is. They're really trying to win this division. But I, I thought it was too quick of a hook. Despite it's not like I've enjoyed Dwayne Haskins' NFL play. Well, but we, we've surveyed the league long enough, Pat, where a quarterback goes from the number one option to the number three and wanting to be active on game days to know that something else has been going on, yeah. like something else behind the scenes. Because or else he just being act like the backup because that's what he is. But no, even Alex Smith has vaulted him in the depth chart. Uh, again, I, you could sense that in Ron Rivera's comments last week too, correct. which were just scorching. And, and when we were back at the combine, Hayden, back in, in March, it, he was saying that, you know, Haskins needs to turn around his focus and his preparation. And now we're seeing rumblings and on Twitter that that's probably wasn't the case over these last three or four weeks. Uh, once again, in 2019, the worst four weeks of that year was people advocating that Callan could be the future of the Carolina Panthers. I truly hope he doesn't put together three or four good performances. And that happens again here with Washington. I don't know if this is an upgrade Daigle. I think if anything, this is just a, a sustained caliber of play from the quarterback. You'll get some different things and positives and some different things and negatives, but this was always in the back of our head when we were drafting Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson. And it's not a negative because as exactly what you said, He's the type of quarterback that supported DJ Moore along with Scott Turner. And then the same type of passer that supported checkdowns to, I guess, JD McKissick and Antonio Gibson along in Scott Turner's uh, play calling as well. Do we want to go ahead? Antonio Gibson, as you said, is the bingo here. That's who you're buying low on now. Um, 56% backfield touch rate the past three games. They finally got him more touches this week, 17 to JD McKissick's nine. And he looked God, he looked great. He looked so explosive in a tough matchup. Speaking of backfields, Hayden, scale of 1 to 10 on the frustration scale with the Rams' backfield and their usage in the last few weeks. It's unpredictable. Like, you can't have any confidence either way. I, I would 
I mean, Malcolm Brown, they trust him, and he's going to be involved to some degree. He's clearly the worst player out of the three. I think Darrell Henderson's looked the best in the run game, but they don't trust him in pass protection. They don't trust him in the passing game. So I think that's where Cam Akers can kind of step in if he if he can. But even as seven or eight-point favorites, even with a top 10 team total this week, Daryl Henderson, Malcolm Brown, Cam Akers, all of them are like RB3s, and you just don't know how to use them properly right now. Pat, should we read into anything that the Rams almost lost to the Giants last week? I mean, going back and watching that game, I thought the Giants did a great job of diagnosing what Sean McVay was trying to do offensively. And we've also seen this Washington defensive line just overrun offensive lines at points this season. Um, I think the play calling, the design, has put less pressure on this Rams offensive line, but they might need to hold up and stay firm against Washington this week. I mean, the takeaway might be ever lessening faith in Jared Goff, who, you know, the league figured out what McVay was doing in the second half of last season. He's brilliantly adjusted again earlier this this season of, you know, pre-snap motion, you know, lots of like design short area passes, but I mean, Jared, Jared Goff's getting treated like Kirk Cousins. He's not allowed to throw more than 25 times a game and, and it's getting to the point where it's just ridiculous with the play action and behind the line of scrimmage targets, like where they don't trust him to make any normal throws whatsoever. He's throwing his average depth of target. He's throwing the, the second shortest of the sticks of anyone in the NFL tied with Drew Brees. Uh, his average depth of target is like laughably small and this being used basically like a quarterback that they don't trust to do anything outside of structure whatsoever. And they don't even trust him to make play like normal passing plays in structure. Like his hand has to be held on everything. And I think that's kind of what you saw with the giants last week. This is a player. Maybe time is running out again on like this latest iteration of Jared Goff. And I think it's, it's kind of limiting uh, Robert Woods and Cooper cup to like low end wide receiver two status when they should be more in like that wide receiver 10 to 14 range based on talent. But and they're getting the, the looks are creative, but yeah, but they're low. They're like low expected points for fantasy because they're so short. And two, on the limited passing volume, they're spreading the ball around so much too. And yeah, unfortunately, I think Cup and Woods are getting trapped in low end wide receiver two land. The injury to watch here is Chase Young because if he comes back, this is a concerning game because it is quietly the third consecutive trip to the East Coast for the Rams. Yeah, we know that Sean McVay made a ton of changes this offseason. Now we'll figure out if it's going to be true that he can add wrinkles and create things week to week on a daily basis because uh, on a game per game basis, because I think like Pat indicated, some of what they showed the magic in those first three weeks was figured out in week four. Maybe he can reset a little bit here in week five. Moving on to the four o'clock slate, the Miami Dolphins, San Francisco 49ers. Two and two, the 49ers are. One and three, the Miami Dolphins. 49ers at home, nine-point favorites, a 49-and-a-half total. Daigle, time to have a bad team intervention here. Uh, the Miami Dolphins, I know, and Pat, too, you guys were interested in this team last week against the Seattle Seahawks. Only Devontae Parker hit. Have you realized that the Dolphins are just bad, that their quarterback is bad, and it's not worth investing and playing any of these guys on a weekly basis. Go ahead, Pat. I was going to say, I didn't have Fitzpatrick ranked as like an elite streamer last week. I, I had him like 15 or 16 just because I too have trouble betting on bad play. I, I had him elevated where he's normally ranked. I was gonna say, I didn't have him. Like, it's not like I jammed Ryan Fitzpatrick into the top 12. I just want to go on the record about that. He was a QB one. So I ranked him as such and he finished as a QB one. So who was right? 
There, no, though, there was a mention when we were talking about the Seattle and Dolphins game that I said, I don't want to play anyone here. And you said Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, Mike Kosicki, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And this team is just bad. Like there is no, there's a, there's a difference between a bad Bengals team and a bad Dolphins team where Mm -hmm. I count on Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow, the consistency there with the pass catchers that he has versus what this Dolphins team brings to the table, which they aren't running enough plays. I mean, they're like 22nd in the NFL in plays per game. There's just, when I look at my fantasy rosters, I don't want to have investment in this Dolphins team at all. So the argument was against the Seahawks defense, which only forced Miami's offense to punt one time. Like, I think we both got there. I know they didn't cover in the end, but it took until the fourth quarter for the Seahawks to finally run away. I think we both got there. Either way, for this game, I'm curious to see if Garoppolo comes back because the Dolphins have allowed the fourth most fantasy points per game to opposing quarterbacks. And Garoppolo has yet to start when he was healthy with George Kittle. Cause remember he got injured in the first game in the first half, uh, Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, who we should expect to see a snap count increase this week. So I think the 49ers are just getting healthy at the right time now to start their run. My takeaway from the Dolphins last week, by the way, is giving up the wide receiver three ghost on Preston Williams. Who- I agree. We're out. Extremely talented player, but yeah, I mean, we gotta we gotta reset and you know give this a few weeks, give this some time to breathe. Yeah, and then with the COVID madness and the bye week troubles, you know, if you're in a more casual kind of home league, he's not even like a must hold in like twelve team leagues. Uh, you know, in the kind of like leagues we play in, you're not gonna really drop Preston Williams. But I think you can maybe get away with dropping Preston Williams in your home league. Hey, nine point favorites at home. If Raheem Mostert does not come back, is that Jarek McKinnon as a top twelve running back this week? Definitely, he's his expected fantasy points in games without Raheem Mostert's at eighteen percent or eighteen fantasy points. Jeff Wilson's barely even playing. He played six snaps last week, and fifty-seven percent of his touches this year have came in garbage time. This has been the Jarek McKinnon show, who's played a little bit more than I expected as a smaller back coming off of major knee injuries, but he looks pretty healthy. And I think that even after this game, he he should be treated as like a top twelve, top fifteen fantasy back this week. I think even when Raheem Mostert comes back, he'll still be involved to some degree. The the one the one uh, takeaway though is George Kittle and Debo Samuel coming back. That is kind of troubling for Brandon Ayuk unless Jimmy G like becomes like a top fifteen fantasy quarterback. That's a lot of mouths to feed and an offense that in theory wants to run the ball at league high rates. To be clear though, if someone in your league thinks this is suddenly McKinnon's backfield whenever Mostert returns, you should go out and trade for Mostert because I would imagine it's 60-40 in favor of Mostert whenever he comes back. That's going to the potential game of the weekend, I think, which is wild to say about these two teams. The 3-1 Indianapolis Colts. The 1-3, and three, no, also the 3-1 and one Cleveland Browns. Excuse me, I have it written incorrectly. You know, just in my head, I thought that might be one and three. Uh, 46 total in this one. One half point favorites the Colts are on the road. Pat, what do we think about this? Because it's two teams that I would not call offensive juggernauts in the style that, you know, is aesthetically pleasing in 2020. Yet I think both teams have a understand their identity and are executing it quite well through four weeks of the NFL season. Yeah, I would say this is like a big gut check game for the Colts, who I feel like we just don't quite know who they are yet. I mean, it definitely is for the Browns, but the Browns already had one of those in week three. Like I didn't have a grip uh, heading into week four. I mean, excuse me, on, like who the Browns really were, like this was actually going to work and it worked to perfection against the Dallas Cowboys and the Colts, you know, playing league best defense so far, but 
I mean, they lost to the Jaguars in week one. And then the big victories have been over the Jets, the Vikings, and the Bears. And again, the Browns, especially now without Nick Chubb, it's not like the Browns are like going to be some – like they're not – even despite what happened last week, they're not some juggernaut offense that's going to be out there like exposing defenses yet or whatever. But this is like the, the biggest test by far for the Colts so far this season. And I'm very interested. I think we're going to find out more about like how good this Colts team really is this week because we just – I. The good thing, a thing that good teams do is they dominate bad teams, and the Colts have been doing that. But I want to see them against a team that's looking to be also on the rise. And before I like officially consider the Colts a contending team, because the offense, I mean, has kind of been disappointing, really. I mean, Phillip Rivers is getting hidden. Jonathan Taylor, after the explosive week two usage, is like stuck. It's not a committee, but you know, he's seeding too many change of pace touches, not just snaps, touches to Naheem Hines and Jordan Wilkins. And a lot of this in closeout mode or whatever, but why not use the rookie to close out the game? Uh, and basically the Colts are a team I've been wanting more information on, and I feel like we're going to get it this week. This is the Jurgens game of the week for anyone over 50 because the run is going to be established on both sides of the ball. 46 attempts in week one for the Colts, and they lost. They haven't passed the ball over 30 times since, and they're 3-0. and The Browns, on the other hand, score 49 points against the Cowboys, and Baker Mayfield throws for 165 yards in that game. We know the intent of both sides. And in this matchup, I lean Kareem Hunt and the Browns O-line, which ranks number one overall in adjusted line yards at Football Outsiders, mowing over the Colts' front seven. They rank fifth in rush defense DVOA, but the Colts have faced Jacksonville, Minnesota, the Jets, and Chicago's trenches. They haven't seen a formidable opponent yet. And with Kareem Hunt, who I know got 11 carries, but remember, he wasn't at practice Wednesday and Thursday. I would imagine he was just held back a little bit in a game they ran for 307 yards, practically getting him a 60-40 split in favor of Dearness Johnson. Like, this is a Kareem Hunt game all over it. Adding on to that... Darius Leonard is potentially missing this game. He's questionable. Uh, That would be massive. I mean, Darius Leonard is fifth among linebackers in run-stop percentage. Um, He has ranked top 10 against the run each of the last two years. So, yes, I totally agree with you. Um, It might even be Deaners Johnson, Hayden, who I thought looked good last week, despite coming from, was the XFL or the AAF, Daigle? Because I know you're an expert in both. He came from the Orlando Apollos of the elite league, the AAF. Excuse me. Dearness Johnson, I mean, maybe you can plug him in there with some bi-week troubles, but I, I don't know. I wouldn't be counting on him. I think that Kareem, Kareem Hunt can make this a one-backfield uh, committee in, instead of a two-back committee. And, yeah, I, I just think that he's going to be locked in, like, top six, top seven fantasy back top until Ch- Chubb gets back. Pat, boom, I wanted to ask your ranking because I have him at number five. I've got him at number four. And oh, Hayden, you beat me. Hayden made the crucial point where – just don't assume like a one for one replacement in terms of backfield usage. We're now all of a sudden Dearness Johnson is getting a ton of work as the number two. It is going to be more of now like a traditional like Dalvin cook style role for Kevin Stefanski last year for Kareem hunt, but Dearness Johnson in an offense that wants to run this much, like as John said, a game where they score 49 points and the quarterback passes for 165 yards, there will be carries from the number two running back. I think, yeah, if you're in COVID bi-week chaos, you can, you can make a case for optimism for Deontay Johnson in like the RB 36 range. But yeah, Kareem Hunt to me immediately vaulted into the top five. I had him at number three. I've settled on him at number four. T.Y. Hilton just missed on a few downfield plays last week. Would love to see him and Phillip Rivers actually connect on some of those moving forward. All right, next up, New York Giants, Dallas Cowboys, total of 54. Dallas at home, nine and a half point favorites here. Guess who returns? Hayden, Dallas faces Jason Garrett. 
This today came out from his press conference. Jason Garrett on the Giants offense. Quote, you have to rely on the things you're good at. And we're trying to figure out what those are. Thoughts? <laughs> there are no good things. They're using Evan Ingram like he's uh, Jason Witten. It's just four-yard four, four curl after four-yard curl. It's so frustrating. But I do think this is the week that Evan Ingram becomes a tight end one again. And I think that Darius Slay, Slayton is a rebound candidate. I know Roto Powell would love that. I'm usually low on Darius Slayton. I think this is the week. He, he's been the wide receiver 16 in fantasy usage, and he has the perfect matchup to execute on that because the Cowboys haven't been able to cover any anybody. And I think Daniel Jones could be a QB2 streamer, even though he's been horrible, like really, really bad. But you got to remember he's athletic, and the Cowboys linebackers look really slow. So I think there's a, a path to maybe some production for Darius Slayton, uh, Evan Ingram, and, D- and Daniel Jones. Yeah, Daigle, this really is one of those fantasy conundrums, right? Because the Dallas defense is just so bad. Yet, Daniel Jones, I think, has looked like a lot of garbage in a lot of these games, outside of maybe that first throw to Darius Slayton in week one. It seems like they're just struggle city. They don't know what their identity is, especially without Saquon Barkley. Like confidence level in any of these plays. I know we get desperate, especially with potentially, you know, the Buffalo and Tennessee game not being played, but man, that's just like hold on to your butts type starts with these Giants players, even despite the matchup. It's a DFS wet dream because you typically just stack bad plays <laughs> in good spots. And wow. Daniel Jones and the Giants offense is, are now in a good spot. This defense has allowed 36 and a half points per game. They're on pace for 584 points allowed, which is 148 more than they had allowed the previous franchise record. So I don't know if you have complete confidence in them, but if you're desperate because of injury or because of bye weeks, like, Sure, why not? I also think on the other side of the ball, perhaps you can use Dallas's defense. Daniel Jones is taking 14 sacks, and we know he's good for a handful of turnovers every single game this year. So, so first order of business for Daniel Jones, score a touchdown for the first time since week one. Uh, it's been over a month. Get a touchdown. You know, baby steps, your quarterback, score an NFL touchdown. And you guys kind of both hinted at it. So from DFS, it makes sense. You go contrarian, try to get some money somewhere. Redraft leagues, uh, you have to remember, so like Daniel Jones, like this looks like, you know, finally a spot for Daniel Jones against this really bad Cowboys defense. But you have to remember that it goes both ways. This really bad Cowboys defense is now finally getting a matchup with a quarterback who might not just eviscerate them. And so you have to decide like who, you know, who gets the pillow week this week, but who's getting the week off this week. And Daniel Jones has been so bad that I would be more inclined to trust the Cowboys defense than Daniel Jones. I will still play like bad players in good spots. Hence Ryan Fitzpatrick last week. My concern for the Giants this year is that Daniel Jones isn't playing with his hair on fire in Jason Garrett's offense. Like you can't even say Daniel Jones scored four games of 30 points last year and compare that to this year because it's an entirely different scheme that isn't allowing him to be explosive whatsoever. And, and yeah. this is not a good supporting cast. I mean, he's yeah. got, we like Evan Ingram. I like Darius Slayton, but this is a bottom five or six NFL supporting cast right now. Yeah. The Giants run the fourth fewest plays per game. They simply aren't good enough to play slow right now. Hayden, we haven't said a word about the Cowboys. I think we all know how good this offense can be, how good CD Lamb has been. I think Amari Cooper leads the league in either targets or receptions so far this season. We know Zeke is going to eat. Dak may be on pace for quarterback one numbers. Uh, anything else to say about Dalton Schultz or Michael Gallup, so on and so forth? 
Well, Michael Gallup, 92% of his targets have been near the sideline. That's basically the highest in the entire NFL. And those sideline targets are low value targets compared to the ones over the middle. Also, most of his targets are downfield, like 25%. That's also near league highs. That makes him a very volatile player. This is an opportunity for Michael Gallup to produce as like a boom wide receiver three, but the floor is just non-existent because targets are going elsewhere and they're more bankable targets to CD lamb who looks, he looks so good. He's going to be a superstar. Um, going back to uh, real quick, going yeah. back with Evan Ingram. We, when we talk about the tight ends, tight end position, we want to write off Hayden Hurst. We want to write off Evan Ingram. We want to write off Tyler Higby. Who are you starting over them? Like there's yeah. no one to right. pick up. So like, it sucks to say Hayden Hurst is a low end tight end one. I know it's Hanyan, but uh, <laughs> Hayden Hurst is a low end tight end one by default. It's not a great yeah. t- low end tight end one, but you have to be starting Evan Ingram because who are you picking up? Yeah. Uh, Evan Ingram's c- catchable ball rate is the second lowest only to Logan Thomas's, which may change with Kyle Allen. I don't know. But Evan Ingram is still seeing tremendous usage. Uh, Hayden, correct me if I'm wrong, 90% routes on Daniel Jones dropbacks, right? Like yeah, he's he, second. He's second in the NFL among tight ends and routes run. He, yeah. that, that equates to tight end six usage, and he's still a good player. He just needs to be used a little bit better. He's You're getting suck. targets too. He's not just running routes. He's still even right. getting targets. Suck it up and play the guy. I mean, it's that easy. Suck it up yeah. and play. The the complete dumpster fire that the tight end position is was one of the six most shocking developments on the previous <laughs> show prior to this one. So go and the shocking check that show out. where Josh gets a little loose in the middle. <laughs> just saying. All right, next up. Denver Broncos, New England Patriots. I did not see a total for this game, but the Patriots are eight-point favorites here at home. They're two and two. We know the Broncos are one and three. Uh, I think Drew Locke returned to practice on a limited basis, individual drills, so who knows if he's going to play in this game. But we saw what the Patriots did. Um, We know Cam is, I believe, still on the the COVID list. Uh, They started with Brian Hoyer, and he knew the offense. He also knew how to run the offense into the ground. And then Jarrett Sidham came in and threw interceptions. I mean, all that I saw, Pat, and all I could think of when I was watching this Patriots team was that it took a week and a half, two weeks, for the national media, for the local media, to even give Cam Newton the starting job, despite the play of those two. Like, it just shocks me that it was even entertained that someone else could be the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots this year once Cam Newton signed. And, uh, and, you know, the Patriots meet a lot of good members in the Patriots media, but they are uh, kind of understandably so very worshipful of Bill Belichick, and they don't really have a lot of cynicism for what like, Bill Belichick says. So that's probably how that happened because, yeah, if you watch that game, it's just like – I guess I – I mean, so clearly nowhere even near the level of Cam Newton, either one of the – obviously not a difficult decision. Brian Hoyer was two completely mind-numbing sacks away from having – probably not getting benched. Uh, you know, just uh, – just, absolutely atrocious decision making though especially from someone who's like who's like one positive is supposed to be a veteran intangibles and yeah it really makes you wonder how is jared Stidham you can kind of write off the intersite he got put in like an impossible spot to succeed last week but yeah clearly the fact that the patriots were comfortable going uh, with brian hoyer over jared Stidham does not speak well to what jared Stidham has been showing in practice but still, all how stunning is it that what we all saw that the patriots were still in this game yeah. like almost the entire game uh bill belichick is a god. Understand without Cam Newton that Damian Harris is a touchdown or bust option. 17 Ooh. carries, 22 snaps, three routes run. He is being used exactly like Sony Michelle, which is not what you want with the other players getting targets. But, but I, I kind of disagree with that because he's far more explosive than Sony Michelle. 
Like what he showed last week and what he showed on Monday Night Football was that he can reel off a 40-plus yard run. You know, so while he might not be getting this massive workload with James White in there and whoever else in there, I, I think it's premature to say, well, all we can expect is what Sony Michelle has done on one-yard plunge touchdowns because I think Damian Harris can do more. Plus, if we go back to the Patriots media, all that the storyline was in training camp was how Damian Harris was second in targets on the team next to Julian Edelman. I understand they might not have done that this past week because that game plan was whatever, but it could happen moving forward if, 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 if they've already showed it prior to, to this game. It could happen, but I don't see them taking Burkhead and White off the field for Damian Harris. And remember, Cam Newton comes back. That's 12 carries per game more that he's sucking away from the backfield. So that's why I'm worried about Damian Harris. Although I think he's a fine running back if you're just getting by. It's okay. Yeah, it, Damian Harris, we remember, was just getting his feet wet last week. Yeah. And to get his feet wet game, he played extremely well. So yes. I have him ranked the highest of the Patriots running backs, which is kind of, you know, like an oxymoron. We There's there's no such thing as like the highest ranked <laughs> Patriots running back, really. But uh, I do – I think we could see the role uh, expand for Damian Harris this week. Who stands out to you, Hayden, in this game? Anyone? My question is, do we play Julian Edelman, who doesn't look fully healthy? He's just – every single time he lays on the ground, he seems like he's laying on the ground <laughs> for longer than any other wide receiver in the league right now. He I looks like – you I think so push a car. 34-year-old, uh, I know what Jules is going through. And, yeah, it takes a lot. Uh, the if, back if it, is never not sore. If this is in my future, I'm I'm very depressed. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's still starting as like a PPR wide receiver three. He should be getting the ball. Um, it, it might not look very pretty though. He needs to push more SUVs and random parking decks, Hayden. That's what Julian Edelman needs to do. Hey, I'm on the Peloton life now. I can see. Looking good. How's right. Cal of you? <laughs> I'm sure you just looking right out the Pacific Ocean, you know, a huge sweeping vista, like right off camera there. You just have giant windows looking out of the ocean. You should make that your uh, background. next. Yeah. Week. And right next to the ocean, there's all these wildfires <laughs> and parking garages. <laughs> yes. Sunday night football, the Minnesota Vikings, the Seattle Seahawks, 57 and a half total here. Seattle, seven point favorites at home. They are four. No Minnesota, I believe are one and three. Daigle, we've seen the explosion of this offense a little bit when Justin Jefferson emerging. Dalvin Cook last week looked unbelievable, yet this team is running 56 plays per game, 32nd in the league. And while we also love Seattle, they're only running 62 plays per game. So I look at that that formula, both in the bottom 10 in plays per game, and wonder, other than just awful defenses, how this game can reach a 57.5 total. It's because both defenses can't stop the other one. Uh, Kirk Cousins only threw 22 pass attempts last week. So we are still leaning on efficiency over volume. But the same stats we cited last week, it remains the same this week. Seattle can't rush the passer. They're still allowing league high in passing yards and receiving yards to opposing wideouts. And that's who Kirk Cousins throws to because he has no other option. It is only Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. So you have to love all those guys. And for a team that continues leaning on the run and neutral game script, you, of course, keep going back to Dalvin Cook as well. Yeah, Hayden, this is a very narrow game, it seems like, right? We know who's getting the football on Minnesota. It's Dalvin Cook. It's Justin Jefferson. It's Adam Thielen. On Seattle, we know that's Chris Carson. It's DK Metcalf. It's Tyler Lockett. Get some David Moore mixed in there as well. But other than that, like, are there any other pieces that we should be interested in with this massive, massive total? 
No, like you said, it's it's super defined, all the roles. I think that Chris Carson's probably being the forgotten man. He's, I mean, as seven and a half point favorites, I think that he can be more of a low-end RB1 than a high-end RB2 this week. And yeah, you got to love Justin Jefferson. What a stud. He's he's going to be a really good player. That's that's my takeaway after the last two weeks. Very yeah, bold. Looking, looking <laughs> catastrophically wrong on Justin Jefferson, maybe the most wrong of anything I was this summer, uh, including uh, Josh Allen. Uh, was, the reason the Seahawks are only running 60 plays a game is because they score so quickly. Uh, and the Vikings, you know, it's because they're having trouble getting other team off the field. I think we're going to get a volume bonanza this week for both mm-hmm. teams. I think this... I would take the over in this game. Kirk Cousins, I think it's an ironclad lock. We'll have to attempt 30 passes for the first time this season. Mm-hmm. And now the, the, this could go off the rails if on that greater volume, Kirk Cousins throws a bunch of interceptions, which kind of tends to happen when Kirk Cousins gets overexposed. But I think you can kind of throw like the weeks one through four pay stats out the window for this game for both teams. And well, maybe not the Seahawks. They'll score again easily in like five or six plays every drive. But uh, yeah, I, I like the over. Negative Norris taking the under who wants to take the under in 2020 i will especially with these defenses i know (laughs) when everyone goes in one direction hit daigle we we Uh, go in the opposite i'm raising my hand because i would like to try to get a stake back and uh, i will take the over if you would like to bring it to the table done 57 and a half virtual shake Oh, it's that high. Oh, this is a donkey. Yeah, I'll take the over. I'll make it fun for everybody. Yeah, it's in Big 12 territory, but uh it's more fun when the pod sweats together so we'll do it i'll do it all right. I'm happy to just uh, down in next point. 0-7. It's going to take it to. All right. We'll close out with Monday Night Football. Los Angeles Chargers. New Orleans Saints. 50 and a half total. Saints, seven-point favorites at home. They're two and two. The Chargers, despite some like fun, exciting, entertaining football, are one and three. Hayden, I guess the biggest question, and what I'm intrigued to see the most, is how the running back touches and targets shape out in this Chargers backfield without Austin Eckler. You're going to have Justin Jackson. You're going to have Joshua Kelly. Yeah, Joshua Kelly is the bigger of the two, so I think that his goal line role is there to stay. I think Justin Jackson will mix in, and the one thing we have to keep an eye on is Joshua Kelly and the fumbling. He had two fumbles in back-to-back games. One of them kind of wasn't his fault. It was kind of an odd exchange from Justin Herbert, but that is something to keep an eye on. I think that Justin Kelly has looked good enough in the passing game to be the favorite for the passing down role, and – the, the Chargers this year, they're playing the fifth highest pace in the league. So that's the the big uh, improvement for the offense in general, aside from Justin Herbert being able to uh, push the ball vertically downfield. We'll see if Mike Williams returns. But the, the moral of the story for the last three weeks is Keenan Allen, first in target share in the NFL now. He's had a couple games with like a 40 to 48% target share. So I think that he needs to be locked into top 12 fantasy rankings. The mistake you can make in this game is getting off the Chargers offense if the Saints get back Marshawn Lattimore and Janoris Jenkins because this defense was atrocious before then in weeks two and three in particular. Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers a combined 8.1 yards per attempt, six touchdowns and no turnovers, just driving down the field with ease. It is an amazing spot for Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen. And remember, this offense didn't miss a beat without Austin Eckler. After three drives when they lost him, Herbert still averaged 11.2 yards per attempt. So I love all of them this week. Let's just say Justin Herbert's been so impressive, at least mm-hmm. relative to expectations, that it's Always. a shame that the difficulty level keeps getting upped on him. And I mean, I think we will very much notice the absence of Austin Eckler this week. And well, we are really, so Justin Jackson was one of my, I think I had him on like literally every team I drafted this summer. And then I had to cut him from literally every team by like week two. 
Um, but you know, very limited career sample size, but a highly explosive player. And like Hayden said, Joshua Kelly had a chance to kind of like wrap up this competition, but he's reopened it with these fumbles. And Joshua Kelly by far is the fantasy play this week, but I think Justin Jackson should be hundred percent rostered to at least see what happens. We aren't sure if Michael Thomas is playing in this game, right? Is he on track? Yeah. Well, well, we'll get our first injury report Thursday afternoon. So he was close this past week as well. So if he plays, I would definitely play him as a wide receiver one. Right now let's say he doesn't play not to think of a hypothetical here, but that's what we're here to do. Um, We've seen that Traquan Smith's had some games. We've seen that Emmanuel Sanders has had some performances again, seven and a half point favorites total of 50 and a half intrigued by that pecking order. Is it Traquan Smith and then Emmanuel Sanders? Is that the order we're going in? That would be it for me, but it is pick splitting hair. So hopefully Pat has better analysis. It's just Alvin Kamara and that's it. It's just no, it's also just kind of a classic between Emmanuel Sanders and Traquan Smith floor versus upside. Where Emmanuel yeah. had a, uh, some upside in week in week four, but I'd rather bet on a big Traquan Smith, one or two big Traquan Smith plays than I would five kind of empty calorie Emmanuel Sanders receptions. All right. That is the wrap up. We have done it. Everyone out there. Go and check out Hayden's Fantasy Blueprint column. It's fantastic. Pat's rankings are up on the site as well. Free rankings, yes. Rotorup.com. I'll be back with Daigle on Tuesday morning, excuse me, for the waiver podcast and his waiver column. But before then, we have Sunday, Rotorup Live, noon Eastern, served by Applebee's. It's on Periscope. It's on YouTube. It's on Twitch. We spend 45 minutes. Just have a grand old time hanging out talking to all of you in the chat. And also, again, Monday morning, the game-by-game recap, that roundup show. So be on the lookout for those. All right, gentlemen, we did it. Let's have a healthy, a fun, safe week five. We'll be back here, same time, same place next week. For Pat, for Daigle, for Hayden, I'm Josh Norris, up the villa, 7-2. Talk to you all soon. See ya. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.